Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. I'm really excited about this semester, uh, just being able to get to preach uh, once a month up here and really get to walk through some pretty big topics and questions. And honestly, some of them are going to be pretty controversial and some of them are going to be pretty relevant to us. Uh, and specifically this, uh, this evening, I'll explain the shrubberies I have up here on stage in just a second. Um, but uh, he, here's the principle that I've really wrestled with for a while in my life, but certainly that we're going to approach tonight. And that it's, that's this. It's the concept Um, that we are always being discipled, uh, that we are being influenced and shaped and discipled. And there there is an imprint that's being laid on us, whether we know it or not, whether we are actively trying to be discipled uh, or whether we're just passively going through life, things imprint on us. Let me give you some examples. Uh, My sons, I got uh, two boys, Charlie and Miles. Uh, Charlie's about to turn eight and uh, Miles just turned five. Uh, whatever they're into at that time, they act like, right? They're, they're at this age where that concept is very obvious. There's a season where they're really into dinosaurs. They're just really into them. They watch dinosaur shows and movies and read dinosaur books. And then around the house, they just act like dinosaurs. They like walk around and wrestle and jump on each other and they pretend they're dinosaurs, right? It's what little kids do. Uh, this summer, Dude Perfect was their thing. Uh, if you know what Dude Perfect is, it's these millionaires who basically do trick shots um, and make millions of dollars. It's really incredible. I'm proud of them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, and they watch Dude Perfect. And if you've ever seen a Dude Perfect, it's these guys who like do these trick shots and they always have like a name for it. It's like, uh, this is the one-eyed jumping shot. And they're like one-eyed jumping and he makes a shot. It's like, this is the drive-by. And he like drives by in a car 60 miles an hour and makes a shot. So this summer, whenever we would go swimming, we'd go swimming at my neighbor's pool. Uh, shout out Miss Karen. Um, and, uh, and we would go swimming there. And, and my, my youngest son, Miles, he would always, like he would go and he'd get on the edge of the pool and he would always name his jumps. He'd be like, this is called the oops. And then he'd jump in the pool. And he'd be like, this is called the soaring eagle. And then he'd jump in the pool. And it was just a thing, right? He just picks up on that. I don't think we grow out of that, right? I think it matures and looks a little differently, but I think that, it, I think we are just imprinted by the world. When I'm driving into work, um, if I am listening to Will Reagan and the United Pursuit, right, which is a worship group guy, right? Um, I drive to work and if I'm listening to Will Reagan, I get to work and I'm a little moody, but I'm also like real worshipful and teary-eyed. And I was just like hugging everybody on my staff and praise God for this coffee and praise God for the air conditioning, right? It just starts to imprint. If I listen to Kanye in, on the way to work, right, then I'm real moody, right? But I'm also kind of hardcore, right? And bossy, right? And, um, you know, that's weird. If I, uh, if I listen to Olivia Rodrigo, Rodrigo then, then I'm real moody and I just hate boys when I get to work. <clears throat> and it might just, the moody thing might just be me. Like that just might be a common pattern with just who I am. So I'm gonna check, I'm gonna check into that. Um, Romans, Romans 12, two, Paul says this, and this is really sweet verse. And I think it really encapsulates this idea of, of the way that we're imprinted, whether we know it or not. He gives a command to the church and he says, do not be conformed to this world, 
But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so there's this idea that right off the bat in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul says, hey, don't be conformed to this world. There's another Bible translation that actually uh, phrases it, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And I really love that. I I love this, this idea. I see this idea, this concept, this truth all throughout our lives. We are being shaped by our world. Um, We're being shaped, we're being conformed, there's this imprint. And so what we're gonna look at tonight is we're gonna look at how we are discipled and how we are taught who we are. How the world teaches us, this is who we are at our core, this is who we are inside and out. There is a discipleship model. There's a couple of discipleship models that our world will offer us. A couple of different propositions that they're gonna say, this is who you are. And so we're gonna look at, what the world would disciple us if who we are and what our creator would disciple us to say, here's who you are. Uh, There's a lot of lies in that, just in how the world would define us, right? And I think we're an intuitive bunch of people that would all agree, man, we are are swimming in an ocean of peer pressure, of advertising. We are are drowning in a a world, especially as young adults, um, that is constantly influencing who we should be um, and telling us that we're not enough. Right, telling us that we're, we're not pretty enough or we're not skinny enough or we're not successful enough or wealthy enough, um, we're not popular enough, we haven't achieved enough. All of these things that the world would then say, okay, you, you aren't these things, you need to become these things and they try to define our identity uh, and, that's, and that's huge. I think even the idea um, as a young adult, um, I, I think so often if you're college age, it's man, you're not really an adult until you graduate college, right? There's this kind of almost parentheses that the world puts around your life of like, okay, well, you're a college student, but then once you graduate college, then you really begin adulting at that point. And it's this kind of lie that the world would put around you. And then even in post-college, it says, well, you're not really an adult until you buy your first house, right? And then, you buy, and then it's, well, you're not, really, you're not really there. You're not really enough until you get a wife or you get a husband. You're incomplete. You're broken until you are able to have that peace come and complete you. And, and that narrative and those suggestions keep coming and keep coming and keep coming uh, and attempt to define us. And so um, what I want to do is I want to talk about kind of these two broad categories that the world would offer. Uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide over to this shrubbery here uh, first, because this really is, um, is going to symbolize really position one. Um, there are these two categories and position one is this. Uh, position one is that you are inherently broken. This is what the world would say. You are inherently broken and need to look to the world or to outside circumstances to fix you up. So if if we can look at this tree here, right? um, And zoom back and get this tree in the shot. There we go. This is not a healthy tree, Um, right? In fact, this is actually a dead tree. And you might not be able to see this, um, but this this shrub is very dead. It died uh, in the ice apocalypse and it's been outside my house for a while. um, And it's just been dead. It's been very dead. My wife has asked me to get rid of it multiple times. Um, But but it's gonna represent something because what I did today was I sprayed it with green spray paint. So some of you look at this and you're like, I see green on that. That was green spray paint that I got. And I sprayed this with green spray paint. In fact... Let me turn it. I didn't, I only did one side of it. That is a very dead shrub. And what the world will say to us and in one, one position and one proposition is this idea that you are not enough, 
right? You are broken. There is something wrong with you. There is something missing. Uh, there, there is an emptiness there. There's a piece missing. You're broken. You're dead. Uh, and what you need is outside cosmetics to, to be right, right? So, so inwardly, you are not enough. But the application the world would preach at you is to say, modify your behavior, get the right things, follow the checklist. Here's the checklist. Here's the checklist. Follow these things. And in doing those, you, you're getting to spray paint your brokenness to where then you have this perception of, okay, I, I think I'm enough now. I think I've achieved it. Um, that is the world's application. Modify so that you can. Improvement, right? Even this idea of fixing our inherent brokenness that is what, that's gonna come from your works. That's gonna come from whatever list it is that you follow. Whether that is very conscious or very subconscious in your life, whether that is uh, more driven by success, whether that's more driven by romance, whether that's more driven by whatever that looks like, whether that's more driven by relational status, the world is going to offer those things on the outside. Um, and, it's, and it's dangerous and it's damaging. And the reality is this is not, this, remember, this is not, this is broken. It's missing and it's just being propped up. Um, that process in our life. And, and let me be real transparent. I struggle with this. I struggle with this a ton. Um, and I'll, I'll explain specifically how here in a second. Um, but, but this is a, a category that I think is really important for us to understand that this is not just about um, salvation, right? Being saved as a Christian that, oh man, I'm not saved. No, no, this, this is something, both of these propositions and positions, man, they're for all of us. I'm going to assume um, that a lot of you in this room are Christians. You've put your faith in Christ. And so we would theologically believe, man, you are saved. Uh, I am assured of my salvation. I'm confident um, that I am saved. And yet this is still very much a concept and a camp that I find myself in all the time. Um, and so this isn't just about, okay, what I need to do so that I can become a Christian and get saved. And this is about, this is about our maturity. Right? This is about how we live out our life. This is about the depth of our discipleship. That's, that's really what this is about, the depth of how we grow and are healthy and function and what our identity looks like. Um, and so this is massively relevant to anyone in this room or anyone who's watching who's a Christian. But also I, I'm making the assumption uh, and I, I think very honestly that there are people here who are watching and who are in this room who aren't Christians, right? And I think, um, and I love that you're here and I love that you're watching and you are in the right place. And this is, I don't think a coincidence that you're here tonight because I specifically love that you're here and I love that you're watching or hearing this message um, because I think there's probably a very thoughtful reason of why you have yet to say, okay, I'm full sinned into the Christian thing. I don't think you're just not affirming Christian faith because you just hadn't thought of it. I think you are very thoughtful. And most people who I meet that aren't Christians are not Christians because they really wrestled with it. And the other reason they're not Christians is because they've been staring at this for years. And they've been staring at Christians who are trying to look like we got it all together, right? And our world looks at that. And, and I think they very thoughtfully say, that looks exhausting. And, and if that's the camp that you're in, I'm going to be real honest. It's really exhausting. And for all of us that find ourselves in this camp of, man, there's something lonely and anxious and broken inside of me. 
And I got to just keep spray painting myself so I look okay. And in the Christian world, we do it all the time, not just in the worldly world of success and climbing the ladder, but in the church, man, how many things can I serve with? And what can I put on my plate? And we change our language and we start using Christian terms and so that, man, people can know how spiritual I am and, and look how green my leaves are. And that's, that's difficult and it's exhausting for us. And if you are, if you're not sure about Christianity for those reasons, I love that you're here. I want you to hear me say genuinely, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we, we are working on it. We're not good at it, but we're working on it. Um, it. It is inherent within all of us to perform and to try with inward brokenness to fix it with outward modification. Have grace. We're working on it. Don't let that keep you from the rest of where, where we think scripture takes us and truth takes us as a reminder. And let me be real specific for, for me, just because I want to be honest and I want to be transparent. And I don't want to just um, put a microscope on you guys and, and not deal with my own sin publicly in front of you. Uh, uh, I do this a ton and I know this is unique because I'm, I'm a pastor. And so I'm a vocational pastor and minister. And yet I relate to this so much because um, so often I think, uh, man, I gotta look like a pastor. Am I really enough? And so I gotta look the part or sound the part, preach the part, you know, talk the part. Um, and yet so often that inward brokenness or inadequacy, I'm just, I'm just spray painting. Let me just tweak the outside and I'm not really working on inside. And that's, that's where we're going. And so that's certainly a camp. I think there's a lot of people that, that can find themselves in that camp. Um, and it's dangerous And our world, whether you know it or not, is subtly discipling you that, Hey, that emptiness, you are not enough, but here's what you need to be enough. But there's this other camp. That's this tree over here. Shrubbery, I should say. Uh, this right here, um, it's going to also, um, project onto you and say, hey, this is who you are, but it's going to have a very different narrative. And these are two huge extremes. And so this extreme says, you're not enough. Look to the world to heal you. Do these things and on the outside and you'll be fine. This one, on the other hand, says you're totally fine. Inherently, you are just right and perfect. And inherently, there is nothing wrong and nothing broken with you. And in fact, anyone that might speak into that and say otherwise, that person you need to get out of your life because anyone to tell you your self-worth comes from within you inherently and your own self-esteem. So think positively and anyone that might challenge that push back. It's the proposition um, that you are inherently whole, but you're inherently whole and unbroken and need to protect yourself from anyone who would reveal holes or brokenness. This plant is equally doomed as that plant. You know how I know that? because I planted this plant and there are zero roots on this plant. This plant is just as doomed as that plant. Now there is still some chlorophyll and borophyll in here that's just keeping it alive and that'll last for maybe a few more days. But this is headed the same way. And so it's gonna be able to fake it for a little bit longer. But this is, this is broken. This is a broken plant that's not going to work. But on the outside, sloppy, but it's there, right? It's there. 
And I, I think so often this is a narrative that we get. Uh, maybe this isn't you. Maybe, the, maybe the, that, that voice, that self-talk that says you're not enough, go out. sometimes we swing and I do this too. I find myself in both of these camps. I find myself over here to say my self-talk of like, actually, you know what? I am great. And anyone that would challenge, I am doing fine. There's no brokenness and no empty. I just need to not look at that. I need to avoid all negativity. And I just need to be this, the, the unique greatness that I am. And, and I want to point out that there is some truth in both of these. But I think the disciple proposition is a lie. That's really dangerous. Um, and so, so here we have this idea of, okay, well, the world's application is just look inward. Anybody challenges that, right? Anybody speaks into the fact that they say, hey, I think, I think there's actually some real brokenness there. Anyone that speaks into that is now no longer safe. Anyone that's gonna challenge that and speak into brokenness, that's not a safe person. They're not affirming what you want them to say. They're not affirming what I want them to say. We do this all the time in big picture ways. I mean, even if you just think of politics, which we're not gonna spend time on that. In fact, next month, we're gonna talk about that. And I'm gonna have a ton of angry emails about that one. But, but we do it in big picture societal ways where it's like, this is my camp. And anyone that would have a different opinion or challenge my perspective, which has become my identity, then, then you're, you're out of here. But we do it. And, and most importantly for, for tonight, we do it in these individual ways. Don't challenge me. Don't speak that. No, I'm fine. I am fully adequate just in and who I am in my own strength. Um, I, uh, I used to, uh, I used to travel and work during the summer, um, like helping run program for youth camps and youth conferences and stuff like that. And, and one of my, one of my really good buddies, his name was Eric. And, uh, and this was early on. This was like, I was in my early twenties. Um, and we would get together and we'd have to like run through and do some work to like prep the programs that we would do. And then we'd get to fly around the country and hang out and have a lot of fun. And he, he was a really good friend. Probably wasn't my best friend at the time, although later probably became that, but just a really good friend. And I remember specifically this time when I was, uh, I was supposed to meet him. He was in Fort Worth at the time. I was living in Dallas and, uh, and we were like meeting in Irving at, at this uh, church to kind of work through some stuff. And so I was driving from Dallas uh, to Irving and no joke, I was running about 30 minutes late, right? Um, and so I was running about 30 minutes late and he had, he had called me and texted me and I was like, oh yeah, sorry, man, I'm on my way now. And, and so I got there about 30 minutes late and he was pretty visibly up for, uh, upset because he had literally been there for at least 30 minutes kind of waiting on me and he had driven there to, to do the work too and we were supposed to be partners and he was late. And I remember him saying, um, I remember him saying, hey man, like, and that was, there was a pattern in my life, right? I just would just kind of habitually show up late places and be like, oh, there's Ben showing up late, that guy. Um, and that was just kind of a part of my, my personality almost. That's kind of what I chalked it up to. And I remember him, uh, and he, we were pretty close. We traveled a ton together. And he was like, hey man, um, I think there's some real selfishness at the root of the fact that you're always late. Because I would be like, oh yeah, I got busy and it was crazy. And I'd always kind of chalk it up to personality or busyness. And he was like, man, I really think, that, I really think it's pretty selfish, like how late you are. And I remember being like, what the heck? I was like, who are you to tell, whoa, whoa, you're gonna call me selfish? You're stupid and dumb, right? Like it was, it, my immediate instinctual reaction was defensiveness. My immediate instinctual reaction was, was just in, in the moment was I am fine. 
There is nothing wrong with me. You're the, how, you're going to call, you're, what? And, that, and that's where it comes. And that happens all the time in our lives where, where, where someone speaks into our life, somebody, and maybe they do it poorly, right? Like maybe they don't have tact and maybe they're blunt. And, you know, there are those people in our lives too, but they are still telling the truth. And, and so often, because I've got this narrative and I've got this whole proposition and position that says, no, 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 don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let anybody say that you might be broken or missing or, or missing things or, or certainly selfish. You're great. They're the problem. Don't let that negativity in. Keep yourself away from that. And that is a dangerous thing. There's a third option, right? There's this third option that we see in scripture, this concept of brokenness that we need the outside world to fix on the outside or this lie that, okay, we're not broken. We're just fine. Let's keep any outside suggestions away. Here's the third option. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 um, is this beautiful passage, verses 1 through 9, um, that really show uh, that there is honestly, folks, there is truth over here in some ways. And there is some truth over there in some ways. And so let's look at that. Uh, the first is, is this, uh, this idea from Paul. He says in verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, Stop right there. So these first three verses, um, what scripture tells us is that we weren't just broken. We weren't just missing something, that we were dead Right, that we, we wasn't just a brokenness, it was a death that we couldn't fix. Right? A dead person can't fix themselves. That we were completely dead. Um, that reality, we're not enough. That at times, I want to avoid feeling that. I want to just self-talk myself back into a good place of, I'm enough, no, I'm fine, I'm totally... But here scripture says, no. No, you're, you're not enough. Scripture says, no, you were were dead. The root of selfishness, right? That's That's a result of that. Even for those who are in Christ, don't miss this. Don't don't turn this just into, okay, this is a a, this is a, a principle about being in Christ or not. No, no, even those who are in Christ, we still, we see in Scripture, walk in our old self, still fleshing that out. Even though you might be in Christ and once saved, always saved, we believe that theologically, but we still walk in that deadness. We still put on those old garments tied to this concept and principle of the gospel in Ephesians 2 verses 1 1 through 3. But then everything changes. We weren't enough, but everything changes. Verses 4 through 9, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He then took us and he made us enough. He he took what was dead and he made us alive because of him, not by our works, but because of him, that brokenness and that death he restored and he gave life to. And he then ongoingly gives life to the brokenness and the death and the emptiness and the inadequacy and those feelings that honestly, in a lot of ways are valid of I'm not enough. And the response to I'm not enough is not, yes, I am. I'm going to I'm going to just trust in myself. The reality is, no, I'm not. And yet he still loves me and is doing a work in me. He's restoring. Verse seven, then Paul goes on. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is not of your own propping up. This is not of your own spray paint. Not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. The gospel is just this unbelievably applicable truth for not just how we actually become Christians, actual followers of Christ, and not just people who try to look like Christians and try to keep up the facade of that and, and, and turn off the world around us, But the gospel, what we see here in these nine verses is this beautiful truth that like, yeah, we're not enough and we don't have to be discouraged because he is. And by his grace, do I believe through faith? By his grace, I now am enough because of him, not me. I'm now sufficient. I'm now made whole. I'm now complete. That's huge. That will literally take me a lifetime to unpack my life right now. The places, the shallow, empty, anxious, broken places, inadequate places in my life right now, I I fully believe are all tied to this truth right here. And the depth or the shallowness in which I really believe that. My anxiety about life, your anxiety about your job, um, your discouragement about your relationship status, uh, your, um, your frustration about your expectations and your unmet expectations tie back. They, they tell you this, this truth of you're not enough. You're, there's something missing. And yet then the gospel comes and says, but God, but God, but God, he said, I know you weren't enough. And so I will send my son, Jesus Christ, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will send him 2,000 years ago. And this historical event takes place. And anyone who stops striving so hard to find their identity and whatever the world tells them their identity should be, that exhausting process that we catch ourselves in, that exhausting process of protecting ourselves from anyone that might speak something that's awkward and, and, and hard into our lives, that exhausting wall and rat race that we do. We get to say, I'm gonna put my faith in Christ and stop striving and protecting and shielding and surrender my faith to say, okay, I can't do this. Father, take me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ who was enough, who was perfect, who was alive and he died the death I should have died. And he rose again and so my faith is in you. And that's not a prayer you pray once at youth camp. That is the reality that I either believe and deepen in my belief every day or I don't. And to which 
degree I believe and apply that truth of the gospel in my life every day, in every way, in relationships and job, and take it out of a category of church and into my daily life is the degree in which I will find satisfaction because this is how the creator has created me. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? This gospel truth, two things. The first is, do we understand it? Just understand. Do we understand the gospel? Would we see? Would we lay down our defensiveness? Right? If we understood that we don't have to, we don't ha- I don't have to be defensive, that I'm not selfish, I am selfish. Would I lay down my defensiveness? Would you understand the gospel to such a degree that you'd be willing to lay down defensiveness or hurt, that you'd be willing to lay down striving or performance? Lay down our masks that we're so good at wearing. Would our understanding of this reality, we are not enough, but he will make us enough as we surrender to him. Would that be an understanding we have that produces action? Understand who he says we are. Dead, now made alive by him, not by our own doing. Um, And then the second is this. The second is not just that we would understand because I think there's probably a lot of people watching and and here in this room who um, have heard a version of this. Um, And you've you've checked that box like me. You've checked that box. So it's not just an understand here, the gospel. Um, It's a believe here. Do we understand? Yes. But secondly, do we believe it? That is the hardest part. And I need, I need a miracle, a literal miracle from Jesus tonight. I need a miracle from Jesus tonight in order for me to really believe that. That's not gonna be because I'm a good preacher or we hit the right notes and the songs we're gonna sing. It will be only because Holy Spirit, would you do what only you could do and help me believe. Um, If you hang around me very often, I I share this story a lot and this is where I'm gonna end and I love it. It's one of my favorite stories interactions of Jesus uh, in the gospel of Mark and it's Mark nine. I'm going to read the story and it's, it's, it is, I need it every day. I talk about this a lot because this is me. Here's what happens. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he, Jesus asks them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. So Jesus in this crowd, this father says, I brought my son. He's got this, he's got a demon possession, makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And when he answered them, and, and he answered, so then Jesus respond, re- replies, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit that was inside this boy, this demonic spirit, when it saw him, immediately it convulsed. It convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, 
And it often casts him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Father, standing before Jesus, pleading for his son from childhood. He's just had this spirit and it convulses him and and they can't, there's nothing he can do. You are Jesus. He understands. There is enough understanding in this father to fight through this crowd, to walk through the disciples, to get his son who has this condition to Jesus, get him in front of him because he has enough understanding. You can do this. You could finally help me. The brokenness in my family, you could finally solve this piece of it. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I love this verse. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. We aren't enough. You're gonna try to strive and take whatever suggestions that the world consciously or subconsciously is feeding you to feel like you're enough. I do it, we do it. Or that's going to be exhausting. And we just say, no, we are enough. I'm, I'm done working on it. I'd just rather nobody point the things out anymore. Nobody challenge me anymore. There's a truth. We're not enough. But he comes and he says, I will be enough for you. I will be enough for your weariness. I will be enough for your singleness. I will be enough for your discouragement. I will be enough for your unmet expectations and your plans and your disappointments. I will be enough for your inadequacies, the circumstances in your life, the character in your life. I will be enough. Let me make you alive. And we understand that. But God, would we believe? And he says tonight, your God meets you tonight and says, do you believe? And so would our prayer tonight be, I believe, but help my unbelief. In the same breath that this father before Jesus said, yes, I I do believe. But all of these shallow areas, I am so quick to doubt too. So can we say, as followers of Jesus, you are, yes, you are enough for me. I believe that. But in those shallow areas that I still struggle with, would you do the miracle that only you could do? Help my unbelief. Bring faith, deepen my faith. I need a miracle of Jesus to take what I understand and deepen it into my heart. We have this opportunity as created beings, being defined and identified not by who the world says we are, but by who he says we are. Do you understand who he says you are? And do you believe it? Let me pray. Father, we need you. Um, We need you because, um, Lord, I know for me, even tonight, you convict me because you're kind and gracious and you convict me of ways that I know I come up short. And I know I have tendencies in both of these directions to medicate myself, to protect myself, to fake it. God, would you lay us raw before you tonight? Our brokenness, our inadequacies, our anxieties, our frustrations, our disappointments, our discouragements, 
Would we lay raw before a God who says, I wanna take those and I wanna make you alive. I wanna heal, I wanna restore, I wanna redeem through the power of Jesus Christ. We believe that you can, but who you say we are, help the areas we still don't believe that. For your glory in the name of Jesus, amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.